Well, good morning, Waterstone. It's a real privilege and honor to speak to you today. I I get to speak to a lot of strange audiences, but this one's a little different. This is kind of like giving a speech to your mom and dad with your sister heckling you on your living room sofa. So it's fun to be at home and to speak to you guys. This is the last uh, Sunday of our uh, series, Rhythms Around the World, as Nick said. You know, Nick started us off in that series with uh, why missions? Why do we seek to live out our rhythms, not just here in our community, but uh, in the city of Denver, among the poor, and around the world? And Nick's answer to that was God has a plan. God has had a plan since the, before creation to rede- reconcile, redeem people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, to redeem them, to adopt them as his own children, uh, to restore his broken relationship with them. He's done that with us. And furthermore, he desires to, that, to have all the peoples of the earth glorify him because he alone is worthy of worship. The following week, Nick uh, talked with us about why are we involved in local ministries in the city of Denver. And he talked from Jeremiah 29 about how we seek to prosper in the city, how we put down roots in the city, how as we partner with Mile High Ministries and HIV Care Link and um, Providence Network and the Denver Street School, ministries that are out there in the lobby this morning, how as we partner with them, we seek the peace of the city and we, and we benefit as well in how we live out our rhythms. <clears throat> Nick, uh, the, last week, uh, David Bass for Compassion Sunday talked with us about why development uh, why how, and how do we live out our rhythms around the world in bringing good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoner, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free. And as we do so, we proclaim the year of the Lord's favor from Luke 4. This is Jubilee, the year in which all debts are forgiven and the slave gets to return home a free man. Our final topic, as Nick said, is why Muslims? Why does Waterstone seek to focus our rhythms around the world by showing love towards Muslims? Well, neither Nick or Larry wanted to handle that sticky topic, so they asked me. But I really wanted to speak to you. It isn't just that Nick and Larry wanted to get off another week of sermon prep. Um, I'm sent out by you as one of your missionaries to show love towards Muslims, to encourage Christians around the world to take up this task of demonstrating Christ to Muslims. Nick told you about the course Encountering the World of Islam. They have some of the textbooks for this by the book display down the hall. But this is what takes me to Africa and to Asia. I was in China over Christmas and Africa last summer and Russia this fall, all to encourage Christians to consider the needs of Muslims and extending the gospel to them. I desire to be like Caleb and Joshua this morning. Do you remember Caleb and Joshua? Caleb and Joshua were the two guys that came back to God's people with a good report. A report of what God had promised and what God was doing. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning. Caleb and Joshua came back speaking of vineyards that they had not planted, cities they had not built, a land filled with milk and honey. The ten other spies saw all the difficulties, all the obstacles, and they led God's people into rebellion against obeying and trusting God to go in and to possess the land in God's name. The gospel is good news, right? Yes. Yes, the gospel is good news. Could it be that it's good news, there's good news in the Muslim world as well? Could it be that even though there's some bad news that we hear about every day, could it be that God has a plan? 
I think God knows about ISIS. I think he knows about terrorism. I think he knows about how many Muslims in the world. He didn't miss the memo. Okay, I think he has a plan. He has a plan to bring himself glory. He's promised that people from every language, tribe, people, and nation will glorify him. And we should expect that he's able to accomplish that plan in spite of the obstacles that we may see in the news. And maybe, just maybe, our role is to be like the people of the Old Testament and to once again trust him and once again obey him and to do what he's asked us to do. Unfortunately, again and again, I think we're strongly tempted to listen to the bad news, to not seek the good news of what God is doing, to not trust that he is able to reach Muslims and to not obey him and do what he's commanded. However, before I go further, I need to give you a proviso. This sermon will not be about my uh, politics, about my plan for what the U.S. government should do about ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Um, if you'd, uh, I have strong feelings about politics. If you'd like to know my politics and my plan for our government, just uh, buy me dinner or make a donation to our ministry, and we can do that, but on another occasion. This morning, what we want to focus on is not our temporal reality, but God's eternal plan. How is he going to advance his kingdom um, around the world and even among Muslims. Uh, since I frequently speak about Muslims, I always check the news. This morning I checked the news on BBC around 6.30. I always check the news because I want to not get up and, and not recognize the latest way in which our world's been rocked, oftentimes by scary men in the name of Islam. You know, we live in a world that's quite battered. We're on high alert. Uh, we're on a hair trigger, um, ready for the next barrage of evil news all to, uh, that we hear. This week it's been the, the further destruction of Yemen. You know, anger and fear as we hear those news is normal, are normal reactions. In a calamity or when scared by a spider, it's normal to flee, to fight, to, to hide. Um, but those reflexes that are wired into our biochemistry, they're not uh, maybe the best or the most mature reflexes for us to use in everyday life. Uh, for example, I'm a parent of teenage daughters. And on rare occasions, I face stressful conversations with my daughters. <clears throat> and if I were consistent to consistently respond to these stressful conversations with avoidance or with anger, I would not be a mature parent. And that's part of what we're going to talk about in our series on a modern family. You know, I'm responsible to suppress and control my natural reactions and seek to respond to my family out of my hope in Christ, out of the love that He's shown me, I'm to remember the whole picture of all the wonderful patterns that my family has and not overreact, not do damage, and not add to the conflict. God empowers us to have wiser responses, even in a crisis. Responses of faith, hope, and love. Faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ gives us a hopeful view of the future. We know what's going to happen in the end. The author of Hebrews calls this hope that we have an anchor to our soul, firm and secure, through which we are to be greatly encouraged. So when we're rooted in Christ, when we hold on to our hopeful view of the future, we know that everything will work out in the end. And we're able to not freak out in a crisis, and we're able to respond with that same costly love that Christ has shown us to those around us, to those that are causing the crisis that we're in the midst of, even to enemies who are seeking to destroy us. In the book of Habakkuk, the prophet of Habakkuk is facing a ruthless enemy uh, which threatens to sweep in and bring violence, destruction, wickedness, and injustice. 
And Habakkuk is in the middle of crying out to God for protection and deliverance. However, God's answer perplexes Habakkuk, and this is why we don't have a VeggieTales of the book of Habakkuk. Okay. God says to Habakkuk, Oh, yeah, by the way, um, I'm the one who's raising up that terrible enemy that threatens to destroy. And so Habakkuk uh, argues with God a little bit. Surely, God, you would not do such a thing. And God says, Yes, I will and I have. And if you look at Habakkuk 2, he says, I have done so that in the future the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the earth, Lord, knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. The, earth, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God does have a plan, uh, but his plans uh, don't sometimes match my plans for my personal happiness. Uh, Here in Habakkuk, they don't match Habakkuk's plans very much for him to be protected and his enemies to be vanquished. Likewise, uh, God's not ignorant of our conflicts in the world today. Uh, He knows about the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, but he's not afraid. Uh, He has promised that he will be glorified by all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, and they will be silent before him. Like Habakkuk, I think uh, we're sometimes too quick to seek God's deliverance and uh, uh, the death of our enemies, and we forget that Ezekiel 33.11 says that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. So why do we at Waterstone and living out our rhythms of transform, neighbor, and restore uh, seek to do so among Muslims? Well, first, it's an issue of math. Uh, We just can't get around the facts and the statistics. The facts move us to reflect in our ministry plans the sheer size and scope of the Muslim world in terms of God's global mission. 1.6 billion Muslims. Let's break that down a little bit. That's 23% of the world's population. Nearly one of every four people on the planet today is a Muslim. 49 countries have a Muslim majority. 71 countries have at least a million Muslims. Here in the United States, we have 2.7 million Muslims, according to Gallup. Uh, Muslims are a global and diverse community of hundreds of languages uh, comprising 2,300 distinctly different unreached people groups. A people group is a group of people that share the same language and culture. They communicate easily with one another. They accept each other as one of their own. Uh, Some languages and cultures like ours have many non-Christians. Uh, But in their culture, they have Christians like us, churches like Waterstone, Christian bookstores and music. But uh, they have many witnesses who can neighbor, transform, and restore. But other cultures, other people groups have no churches, have no schools, no Bible in their language, no Christians in their community. We call these people groups unreached. Unreached people groups, wherever we find them, Advancing God's kingdom mission among them requires that people from our culture, from our language, go to that other culture, learn that language and culture, and demonstrate Christ, and grow a community of faith into a growing, vibrant church like Waterstone. You know, we partner heavily with Compassion International in Soronko, Uganda. Uh, As of last Sunday, after the, the numbers were all tallied, we now sponsor over 577 children with Compassion. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. 
But my friends, our partnership with Compassion in Uganda is dependent upon that local church being there. And the problem that we have is among Muslims, among many people groups on this planet, there's no local church there bringing the message, bringing the hope, bringing the love, demonstrating their faith in Christ. You know, the Maninke of West Africa and the Chinese Muslims of Central Asia are just two of the unreached people groups that Waterstone seeks to plant a church that will thrive and reproduce in their community. That's why we have a long-term, open-ended relationship to see a church planted by the Hextrams, by the Shavers, by the, uh, the Kendalls, neighboring in these unreached communities. So that's a part of the math. Additionally, another part of the math is that one-third of all non-Christians, 33% of the world's non-Christians are Muslims. So Muslims are one-quarter of the population, but they're one-third of those who don't know Christ. That's larger than any other block of non-Christians, whether they be Hindus or Buddhists or people who are secular and have no religion at all. Furthermore, most of the world's refugees are Muslims. So as we care for the poor and the brokenhearted and seek to release those in captivity, we think of the United Nations Commission on Refugees saying in 2010 that there's 18 million refugees who are Muslim. And that 2010 number doesn't include the more than 12 million Syrians who've been made refugees by the last year of three years of civil war and ISIS destroying the country of Syria. Also, most of the world's poor are Muslims. Now, when we think of wealth, we think of the Sultan of Brunei, but when we think of an average Muslim, that's not exactly the right image. I'm going to give you an image of a woman who lives in Bangladesh who's flooded out of her home far more often than we are, and whose best job opportunity is probably working in a garment factory. And so when we think of her as an average Muslim, we need to also think of the two-thirds of Muslims who live in countries in the bottom half of the world in terms of life expectancy, education, and standard of living. Let me tell you about a friend of mine in Turkey that is emblematic of this. Birol always invites us to his home when I visit Turkey. Uh, the problem is, is that Birol doesn't have a home. He doesn't have food. He makes a couple dollars a day recycling old, empty liquor bottles and dried grasses into ugly flower arrangements. And when I find him in the bazaar, he's always looking over his shoulder to make the, sure the police aren't there because he doesn't have a permit to be selling these flower arrangements in the bazaar. But when we figure out wherever he's living at the moment, wherever he's squatting, and we show up at his house with a broken crate in the yard, because the house is probably too messed up for to really entertain guests, his table is full of food. That food comes from all of his neighbors and friends because they share the honor of him having a guest in their home because that's an honor on the whole community. Uh, Jesus shares a parable about this that doesn't make much sense where I live in Highlands Ranch. Jesus says that you can go to your neighbor's house after midnight and call out to him and he'll get up out of bed and come downstairs and unlock his door, unlock his gate and give you anything you have because you have a guest who's arrived at your home and have no bread. That doesn't try, just try that in Ken Carroll sometime. See how it goes. Okay? Um, but this, is, uh, this makes perfect sense to my Muslim friends. friends. They still value a community of hospitality, service, even though they're among the poorest of the poor. Also, most of the world's victims of terrorism are also Muslims. This is staggering. One to 100. For every one non-Muslim victim of 
militant violence. Over a hundred Muslims are victimized, maimed, or killed. That doesn't mean that we don't care for non-Muslims that suffer violence, but we also need to recognize that Muslims are bearing the brunt of that. It's not uh, Americans or Christians who suffer most from terrorism. It's poor, powerless, disenfranchised Muslims who live under failed states with, in lawless lands with little justice where anyone with a gun or a fist can take whatever they want. We also focus on Muslims because they receive the least evangelistic effort. Muslims are one quarter of the world's population, one third of the world's non-Christians, but they get the least evangelistic effort. We focus on Muslims at Waterstone because we don't believe that's fair. Everyone should have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Then those who don't have an opportunity to hear it should get some attention. According to Operation World, one in ten missionaries works among Muslims. Not one quarter, not one third, but one in ten. The Center for World Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Seminary reports that 86% of Muslims, 86% of Muslims don't know anyone who is a Christian. The imbalance is so large to us that we believe that we must address this in our mission strategy. Look at Romans 10 with me for just a second. Romans 10, 12 to 14. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You know, those are really good questions. And I believe that this is the same kind of justice issue as food or clean water, housing, education, or medicine. If we who have the gospel will not share the gospel with those that don't have the gospel, what does that say about us? These numbers dare us to be great to be lavish and sending and going and giving and in praying. And at the same time, Muslims are strikingly similar to us. Uh, my Muslim friends fear God, but they have the same desires and hopes and dreams as I do, but without faith in Christ. Muslim parents worry about their kids. They uh, want to give their kids a better education. They seek better housing, better jobs, a safer neighborhood. Also, their children will be happy, healthy, and successful. Uh, most Muslims aren't violent. They're not violent because they've experienced the destructive nature of violence. They might say to you that Islam is peace, and I think that's aspirational, just like uh, uh, Billy told us about aspirational songs this morning. I think when Muslims say Islam is peace, it's aspirational. It's not that that's their experience. It's that that's their hope and their dream for their children, not knowing anything different. According to Gallup, 93% of Muslims cannot imagine a situation in which violence is justified in the name of Islam. Now it's true that that leaves 7% and uh, the 7% are causing um, some significant difficulties in our world today and that's why they're in our news so frequently. But let me ask you a question. If the weather forecast for today is for a 93% chance of sunshine, do you carry an umbrella? You know, our knowledge of the weather forecast changes our behavior. Just like uh, if you get to know a Muslim, I think it will affect your fear and uh, your apprehension that today there might be thunderstorms, hail, or lightning. So I want to encourage you to get to know a Muslim so that we won't overreact, uh, so that we won't judge all by the few. 
You know, after the attack in Paris a few weeks ago, the, US, um, the, the French ambassador, ambassador to the U.S. put it this way. He said, in France there are 65 million people of whom 5 million are Muslim. Of those 5 million, he was very humble and he said, you know, the, the liberal democracy and the social network of France has failed about 20% of those Muslims. About 1 million of the Muslims in France are long-term unemployed and poor. They haven't benefited from what is available in French society. But still, 99.9% of Muslims in France have not been caught up in the lies of radicalization. So he said, whereas 5,000 Muslim radicals is a very big problem, we have to keep it in perspective. It's 0.1% of the population. But probably the best reason why we focus on Muslims is because in our rhythms around the world is because evangelization of Muslims must happen. God's commanded it and he's promised that it will happen and he's prophesied that it will be fulfilled. Look at Matthew, uh, Matthew 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, four, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. I want you to notice two things there. In other words, before the end, before Jubilee, before the forgiveness of debts, before the judgment day, Muslims must hear the gospel. But notice the other thing there. That word nation there is, the, is that same four-word couplet that we use many other times in our songs and in other passages. Every nation, people, tribe, and language. It's not just the nation of France that needs to hear the gospel, but each of those Muslim people groups. There's a Muslim people group that was put in your bulletin today of somebody that you can learn about and have some prayer requests for. X 1.8 Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, we don't have a choice. God has declared that we will be His witnesses one way or the other. We, he can do that. He's the King. Uh, the only, he declared that just like He declared that the promised land was His. And the only question really was is which generation of God's followers would be obedient to do what God had promised, to trust Him and obey Him in doing what God required. God doesn't leave open the question whether His will will be accomplished. He shows us in advance that we will be there when His will is accomplished and we will sing praise to God, glorify God together with people from all 2,300 Muslim people groups. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Here John sees before him a great multitude that no one can count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. Would you guys like to practice these words that we will all sing together in heaven with me? Let's say them together. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That excites me. I hope it excites you also. It's time for Muslims to hear the Gospel, to know Christians like you and me. And uh, my friends, when they do hear the Gospel, when they meet people like you and me, they're responding to the Gospel. This is a huge part of the good news that I have for you this morning. In the last 50 years, in the last 50 years, more Muslims 
have followed Jesus Christ in the previous 1,350 years of Islam combined. I'm 50 years old. My whole life I've been hearing about the PLO and OPEC and Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood and all these things. And all this time behind my back without me knowing, God has been redeeming people from the Muslim world. Just in the last 15 years, since 9-11, there's been more than 69 mass movements of Muslims to Christ around the world. 69 movements of Muslims of at least 1,000 Muslims. Uh, but not just 1,000 Muslims, but in places tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and in three cases, millions of Muslims have left Islam to follow Christ. For example, when I first visited Turkey in 1986, you could only buy the Bible in one place in that country, and the translation was so old you couldn't understand it. Um, And there was maybe 50 mature Turkish believers in the entire country, but none of the churches were um, pastored by Turks. Now, if you go to Turkey today, uh, you can come with me and we can uh, join together with Turkish elders and Turkish pastors uh, uh, leading congregations of 15,000 Turks. Uh, Now, 15,000 isn't much in a country of 75 million. It's not enough. We need to do more. But when you think about it, to go from 50 to 15,000 in a couple decades is explosive and exponential growth. You know, one of the things that we often hear in the news is that Islam is growing faster than any other religion. Well, let's look at that for a minute because I think there's uh, something important that we need to see in that. Islam grows 1.2% annually. And it grows mostly by birth. In contrast, when you throw every kind of Christian into a bucket, including Unitarians and Jehovah's Witnesses, we're not having as many children. But here at Waterstone, our plan for growth is not only more children. We don't have enough children's workers as it is. Okay. Our plan, God's plan, is new life primarily through salvation. When you look at the growth rate of faith-sharing, Bible-believing, evangelical Christians, guess what? We're growing at 2.6% per year around the world. That's more than twice the growth rate of Islam. And when Muslims actually meet a believer in Christ, and they're given the gift of the Bible in their heart language, miraculous things happen. Literally, once a, mo- a Muslim has a Bible in, his, uh, a Bible in his life, a Christian in his life who's praying for him, a Bible in his lap, Muslims have dreams of Jesus and are healed in Jesus' name. Can you interpret dreams? Let me, are you a Daniel or a Joseph? Let me tell you about the first dream that I had to interpret. It was for a, a guy who I met named Rajep. Uh, Recep is from Islam. And Recep was not real happy I was in his community. Actually, he had confronted me in the street and outed me and said, are you a missionary? And so I said back, well, what do you mean missionary? And he said, well, everyone knows who missionaries are. They work for the CIA and they come over here and try to brainwash stupid people into changing their religion without knowing what they're doing. And so I said, well, I'm not that kind of missionary. But he still was not very pleased that I was there. And so I was quite surprised when he came to my hotel room at 5 a.m. the next morning and banged on the door and wanted to be let in so I could explain to him what his dream meant. And in his dream, he was with his father who had been dead for many years, and they were digging in their garden. And there in the garden beneath the soil, they found silver crosses. And those silver crosses were pulsing and shining with light that illuminated his and his father's face. And his father said to him, this is a good omen. And then Rajep woke up and he came to me and said, what does this mean? 
And so being from Philadelphia and knowing that the best defense is a good offense, I threw it back at him and I said, well, what do you think it means? And he said, I think my father has visited me to give me his blessing. To give me his blessing to seek the powerful truth that's found only in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you have a Bible? Can we spend some time studying it together today? Muslims are also coming to us. My wife teaches at DU. Half of her students in the ESL program are Chinese. The other half are Muslims who have come to us to study, to learn, uh, to be in our culture. One of our members here at Waterstone, Katie, um, she teaches at Front Range Christian School, but what she does besides teaching kindergarten is she hosts Muslim students in her home. She hosts Muslim students because nobody else will host Muslim men. You know, Spring International at Arapahoe Community College, and that they also run the ESL program at Metro State right now, they're putting up Saudi students in hotels because they don't have enough host families who will welcome Muslims into their home. You know, Katie's family has been hosting international students since 1993. Um, they stopped counting a few years ago when they got to 160 students that they'd hosted. And Katie shares the gospel with each one, uh, uh, offers to study the Bible with them, and many do. Folks, it's not safe to wander around Kandahar sharing the gospel. It's not safe to start a school in northern Nigeria. It's costly. It's the same kind of costly love that Christ showed us and His willingness to die for us. No one said it's going to be a picnic. It's certainly downright foolish in the world's eyes, and it doesn't make any earthly sense. But it's the plan of God. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Steve lives in northeast Nigeria. Actually, Boko Haram is uh, in the middle of an offensive against his city right now as of this morning. Uh, Steve teaches with me when I'm in Nigeria, and Nigerian Christians think he's crazy, and they're probably right, because Boko Haram has a price on his head. They've tried to kill him a number of times. They've burnt down his church. In the area where he lives, the government offices are closed. The other churches are boarded up. Actually, the police department has disbanded. That's how lawless and... Uh, destructive that part of Nigeria has been. But he continues to hold his school in his burnt-out church with no roof. And the Muslim community sends their kids to school because it's a great opportunity for their kids and because they love Steve and they trust Steve. And they protect Steve. They warn him when the thugs are coming. They hide him in their home. But they also come and find Steve after the thugs have left because Steve has a 1977 Datsun station wagon. And that's a hot commodity in a community where lots of people get killed because you need some way to take the body to the morgue. So Steve goes and he picks up the body and he go, takes it for burial. But the Muslim cleric will not come. He's afraid of Boko Haram. So guess who gets to give the funeral service to talk about faith and hope and love in the name of Jesus Christ? Steve does. Let's make some applications. What can we do? What can we at Waterstone do? How can we uh, get involved in partnering with our rhythms around the world among Muslims? Well, first, we can pray and we can show love to Muslims. You know, Satan has yet to devise an effective defense against the prayers of the saints and the love of the saints. You know, we're probably all here this morning because of somebody's love and somebody's prayers. So pray for Muslims. Pray for them by name. Pray that they would experience the love of Christ. Pray that they would meet Christ in their dreams. Pray that they would find Christ in His Word. 
pray that they would meet a Christian like you. Don't know any Muslims to pray for? Well, that's not exactly true. We all know the Boston bomber. We all know uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi of ISIS from the bad news on the news. And yes, I'm recommending that you adopt a terrorist for prayer. There's even a website, atfp.org. But when you go in there and you adopt a Muslim for prayer, don't pray for their death. Pray for their salvation. Okay. Uh, in your bulletin today also there's a card there's a card of an unreached Muslim people group and so you can pray for them there's a couple prayer requests on the back of that there's actually 24 different uh, Muslim prayer cards out there so you can mix and match and trade two Chechens for a Kurd after the service if you want (laughs) you know one of our uh, Waterstone missionaries who's out in the hub today is Will Scott Will Scott was interviewing an Iranian pastor who had just fled for his life from Iran. And Will asked him, how, how do I pray for Iran? And, and Will was uh, kind of surprised by the pastor's answer. The pastor who had suffered so much persecution said, don't pray for regime change in, Islam, in Iran. Pray, uh, the persecution and the repression is why people are coming to Christ in Iran. Pray for people in Iran to come to Christ. We have a picture this morning of 228 Iranians in a recent baptism that took place in Iran. This is the good news of what God is doing to advance His kingdom. It's the good news that's hidden from us when we only pay attention to the bad news that we're barraged with. You know, it's more than a million Muslims have become in Iran have become believers in Christ since the Ayatollahs took over Iran. My friends. Uh, praying for Muslims isn't enough. Uh, we need to befriend Muslims. And I know this sounds bold and crazy and, and foolish, but what I want you to do is I want you to go up and greet a Muslim. When you see a Muslim, go up and greet them, shake their hand, look them in the eye, say, peace be upon you. Thank you for being in my community. Say to them, I know that 99.9% of Muslims are not terrorists, and I welcome you in peace, in love, and in the name of Jesus Christ. I promise that if you tap into that bold love and meet a Muslim like that, it will be the best antidote for your fear and your anger. You know, one of the speaker's worst nightmares is to be cornered by somebody after he speaks in the bathroom. But that's what happened to me after the first service. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, hi, let me wash my hands. Um, uh, but this guy stopped me because, because he just had to share his own story of how this has been true in his life. A number of years ago at the church he was going to, he was challenged to share John 3.16 with somebody. And he doesn't know why to this day, but he chose a guy at work, a guy named Ahmed, to share John 3.16 with. And he shared John 3.16 with Ahmed. And a few weeks later he saw Ahmed at church. And he found out that just through his simple obedience and his simple trust and doing that simple thing, that Ahmed had become a believer. Also, another thing that we can do at Waterstone is we can refuse to vilify hate and fear Muslims. So if the conversation at work or in your family or at school or, yes, in your small group Bible study or at church turns to uh, fear and hate, say, stop. Let's not do this. Uh, We need to be people of faith, hope, and love. For Christ loves these people. He died for them. And without Christ, we're the same as them. Sinners in need of a Savior. You can also adopt one of our missionaries. A number of them are out in the hub today. 
Go out there and get to know them. You know, we want everyone at Waterstone to adopt a compassion child because we want to work for development, particularly among the poor. We want everyone to get involved in and serve in one of our ministries that we partner with in the city of Denver because we want to love the city and put down roots in the city. But you can also adopt one of our missionaries and pray for and commit to financially support them. Um, So go out there in the hub and find a, a poor, hungry missionary and adopt them and take them home with you for lunch. Also, you can join us for a class. Um, starting next Sunday in room 211 at 9 a.m., I'm going to be leading a five-week study on understanding Muslims. Uh, our missionaries, uh, Nathan and Becky Kendall, who work in West Africa, and Will and Susan Scott, who work in Central Asia, are going to be there to participate as well. And this will be a great place for you to learn and ask questions and start working on your own personal plan to show love towards Muslims. Now, maybe uh, Muslims aren't your passion. That's okay. But please don't live in fear and hate. As you pursue your passion for the city or the poor or bring transformation, restoration, and neighboring across the street and around the world, do so with all the gusto of faith, hope, and love we've talked about this morning. Uh, However, when you get to heaven and you're looking for the best food, music, and dancing, uh, go ahead and come find me. And I'll give you a plate filled with pomegranates and dates and... uh, uh, grilled meats uh, with, uh, done with garlic and herbs, uh, uh, of overflowing glass of wine. And I'll sit you down with former Muslims who love Jesus, who despite all they've suffered and the hate they've lived under count all as loss compared to knowing Christ. Martyrs who's willingly thrown down their crowns at the feet of their risen king. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, holy is your name. You taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord, many in this world have not experienced the delicious fruit of Your kingdom. They have not yet surrendered to Your love. Your kingdom has not yet come to them. So we pray for Your will to be done in our lives, that You would so reign and rule over our lives, that we at Waterstone would obediently live in passionate pursuit of extending Your grace love and truth to every nation, tribe, people, and language. Amen.